not the mess up. The, um, it, was, it was a good, good time of worship this morning. Um, so I hope everybody's doing all right. Uh, give me a little bit more light in the room so I can see people's faces as I, as I talk to them. Um, <clears throat> today, I want, to, uh, I want to start and refer to last week's message. If you were here last week, that's great. If you were not here last week, you'll be able to follow along with um, what I'm about to say. If there was ever a time I would like to take a mulligan to give a golfing illustration from a non-sports addict, right? As you can see, I can really swing a golf club, right? Um, I would like to take, I would, I would have loved to take a little mulligan on that one from last week. Um, it is not that the truth that was proclaimed wasn't correct. It was, it, well, there was one thing, and then there was another thing at the end, and I didn't, I needed about two more days on it, and anyway. So, all that said, I would like to clear up a couple of things. Nobody has put me up to this, by the way. Um, this is just me being, being who I am and thinking through stuff. First of all, last week in the message, I said, I don't counsel anymore. I just want to let you know this. I do give counsel, okay? So, I don't want you to think I don't care for, for you. I, I do, so if, if, you, if you have a question, if you have an issue, if you have anything, you can always call me on the phone. I will always help you. I will always be there for you. Um, there are just some times where people really need somebody a little beyond what I can give them. Actually, that's a lot of the times. So, so I refer people to counseling sometimes when I can't help them because I can really hurt somebody if I don't pass them on to somebody else that can counsel them better. Are, are you following me? So I, I give counsel. I keep your, whatever you tell me in confidence. I'll be honest with you. Uh, Nicole, if you've told me something, Nicole probably doesn't know about it. In fact, I'm probably 98% of the stuff that's told to me, I never tell to her. So if you walk up to her in the parking lot, and you tell her your issue, and you think that I've told her your issue, you are wrong. She's hearing it for the very first time, and she's sweet, and she'll smile, and she'll listen, and she'll give you counsel too. Now, of the two of us, if you really wanted counseling, Nicole, Nicole's, Nicole's really good. I mean, she is really good. Um, she is the reason I'm sane today. And, um, but she, she does really well with counseling. So anyway, I just wanted to say, I love everybody. I give counsel. I'm not trying to say I don't love you. I don't have time for you. I'm not trying to say that at all. Second, um, <laughs> second, last week we talked about the second best. Remember that? And how if, if you made, had a sin and you committed it, you could get into a situation where you're in the second best that God has for you or the third best or whatever you want to say. I want to say a couple of things about that. First of all, in that passage of Scripture, it is a large group of people. A large group of people that are grumbling and complaining. And this wasn't the first time that they had grumbled and complained. They had a history of grumbling and complaining. If something didn't go their way, they would grumble and complain about it. If somebody did something differently, if Moses did something differently, if something happened, they would grumble and complain about it. It was a history of grumbling and complaining. They made it to the promised land, and because their heart was already steered toward the grumbling and complaining, as soon as they were able to go into that land, they went with the 10 people 
that grumbled and complained to them about the land, and they just followed right along. And so their grumbling and complaining is what caused them not to go into the promised land and get God's best for them. Now, corporately, as a church, this is what I missed last week. I just should have said, I should have said this and spent some time on this. Corporately, as a church, we should not ever, ever get into the habit of grumbling and complaining. Because the moment a church starts grumbling and complaining is the moment that that church begins to die, and it spreads like a virus throughout the church. And before too long, God isn't showing up on Sunday, and it's dying out, and that church at that moment no longer can achieve what God has for that church. Are you with me? So you're grumbling in what you say, what you say to people, grumbling and complaining, actually has eternal and spiritual consequences, and they're pretty devastating. So as a group as a whole, you and I need to make sure that that spirit is not within our soul. If you're grumbling and complaining, and I'm not saying that I've heard of anybody grumbling and complaining because I wouldn't know until it's too late. Um, you, so if you, if you have that spirit inside of you, I want to let you know this morning that is not the spirit of God. It's just not the spirit of God. God does, is not about grumbling and complaining. He's about grace and judgment if it's needed. Amen? So, so don't worry about it. Second, I had a question about this, and I need to clear this up. If you've made a decision, like you stole from people and you went to jail, um, which is nobody in here, I don't think, because I haven't read about you in the Davie County Enterprise. That's why I read the Davie County Enterprise. They list all those people, right? So um, it, you go to jail. If you go to jail because you did something wrong, and that's not the best that God has for you in this life, I believe that. While you're in jail, you live for Jesus. You follow Jesus, and when you get out, you live for Jesus, and you follow for Jesus. However, in eternity, it makes no difference. It makes no difference. One day when you're in heaven and you see Jesus, there is no second best in heaven. The only thing that Scripture talks about is laying up treasures in heaven or not laying up treasures in heaven, and those are treasures that we give to Jesus. So you might have a little bit of treasure, or you might have a lot of, a lot of treasure. You can, you can make a decision, like, and I'll just use jail again, and go to jail and be in the jail cell and live for Jesus and have more treasure than I will ever have in heaven because you lived and you witnessed and you were faithful. Are you with me? But there's nothing he's going to do about the consequences even though you ask forgiveness. He's not going to have a judge say, oh, you can get out of jail now. He's okay. I mean, it's, it's not going to happen. So is everybody cool with that? All right, great. So we're going to jump into today's message, and we're going to hear from the scam a lot, Mr. James Beach, to start it. Go ahead. I'm James Beach. I get a ton of scam emails, but instead of deleting them, I decided to hit reply. I got an email about some diamonds. Here's what happened. I got your contact from a South African health officer in Ghana. I find that unlikely. I need to move a thousand carats of polished diamond. Equally... Unlikely. No, this transaction is 100% risk-free and does not attracts any danger. So I knew I was in safe hands. Whose hands am I in? Lieutenant Commander Karoma. I'm in. He said, send me your phone number. I gave him the phone number of Goldman Sachs, the bank. He said, James Feach, I'm not sure you are real at all. You gave me phone numbers of a bank which I called and they say that you are not real, that they don't know you. They even advised me to be very careful about you. Who are you? I'm an army intelligent. Is that a thing? I said there was never a shred of doubt in my mind that I was dealing with an intelligent. How can I prove to you that I am real? How can you prove that you are real in truth? 
How can any of us prove that we are real? P.S. What are you sending me? I've forgotten. He said, the contents of the consignment is a thousand carats of rough diamonds worth 7.5 million dollars. I said, can I have a picture of the consignment? Well, yes, I can. Boom! He said, send me your ID, passport, driver's license, or any of your valid ID. It was valid at the time. He said, you will need to set up an account with our bank and pay the fee. I said, I'll set up a new account with your bank. There's an offer of a free toaster on at the moment, and I've got my heart set on it. He said, don't worry about getting a toaster. I thought, I'll be the judge of that. And then he told me to contact this bank, masquerading as the Royal Bank of Scotland. He said, don't delay. I don't have much days here on Earth. I said, when are you leaving Earth? He said, I have not seen anybody that is more unserious as you are. Even if I die soon, do you have to mock me with it? Just come back to the bank. I said, look, I had no idea we were talking about your death. He said, what are you thinking I was talking about? Am I going to Mass? I said, where's Mass? Is that where the toaster is? He said, sorry, I mean Mars, one of the nine planets of the solar system. I'll be counting Pluto then. So I sent an email to Royal Bank of Scotland and I said, look, I'm writing to you about some bling, Lieutenant Commander is leaving me, and a free toaster you're giving me for opening the account. And they got back to me, they said, please send us a filled in account opening form, and there is no free toaster. Raj Ramesh, head of costume care. I said, dear costume care, are you sure? Because I heard I was getting a free gift for opening the account. What sort of costumes do you do? He said, there is no bonanza going on. And I thought that was an odd choice of word. And then he said, and even if there was, conditions would apply. This is what I sent them. I said, then how do you explain this? Free toaster. With any new account, toaster bonanza. No conditions apply. Thought, get out of that. They said, that do not include Royal Bank of Scotland worldwide. I said, what are my options? I could do with a new kettle. He said, we will appreciate it if you do not bring up this gifting again because you won't get any. Just to be clear, are you saying that if I bring it up again, I won't get it, and if I don't bring it up again, I will, or are you just saying I won't get it at all? He said, please stop talking of a free toaster. And I thought, that sounds like a broken man, right? I said, of course, I shan't bring it up again. You have my word. He said, look, what we want from you is to do the right things. I said, I've done some research. I think we should go for the Longy Four Slicer in red. He said, please stop emailing us. So there you go. All right. A couple of things to, before we jump into the text today. First of all is this Hebrew word right here. This Hebrew word is Elohim. You can say it to your neighbor. You've probably heard it before. Say Elohim. Elohim. Elohim is, is an interesting word. Um, it is used 2,600 times in the Old Testament alone. 2,600 times. 2,250 times it is used of God that we know. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Um, it is used here in Genesis. In the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1. So we are all very familiar with that. The singular form of Elohim is El. So say that to your neighbor, El. So in Scripture, you have Elohim, which is the three-in-one that um, created the universe, and then you have El, which is, you know, it's singular, and this is how it's used. Um, in Genesis 14, 18, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God, that's El, most high, the son, I don't know why that, I don't know how that got in there. The son is L. I'm not really, I'm not really sure how that got in there, but that's in there. I'm not sure why. 
Um, there are now two L's, which would be Elohim, I guess. Right. Next screen. Therefore, Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Now at the very end of Emmanuel is the L. You can see it in English, just like it is in, in Hebrew. It's at the very end. Um, Emmanuel is actually the word that we use for God with us, which the New Testament actually translates correctly. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit does that, and so does Jesus. So she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. So in scripture, you have this singular use of El in Elohim, and it's used 200 and, wait, 2,250 times. Now, a hundred of the 2,600 times, are you following the numbers? Okay, so <clears throat> Elohim is used 2,600 times in Scripture. 2,250 of those times is God. A hundred of those times, it's used this way. Now, I didn't have time to kind of give you a number with each one of these, but I just want to show it to you. First, the term is also used of angels. Um, in Scripture, it says, um, in Psalm 8, verse 6, it said, you made humanity a little lower than the heavenly beings. That's Elohim, which is referring to angels. Um, Elohim, one of those, a couple of those hundred times, refers to uh, human beings in Scripture. In Psalm chapter 82, verse 6, it says, I said, you are gods, Elohim, referring to men. You are all sons of the Most High. So a hundred of those times, it refers to human beings. Now that leaves how many times left? That is correct, 250 times. That is correct. Sorry, I didn't... Yeah, 250 times. So next, it is used of false gods. So in Scripture, when you see the term gods, Elohim, they'll call them Baal, Asterisk, they'll call them Dagon, they'll call them um, different, different names, and Elohim is used of false god 250 times in the Old Testament. Okay? Now, take out a sheet of paper, you're getting a quiz. Like, I'm just having a little fun. You, you have your paper out. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Next, this Hebrew word is Yahweh. Everywhere in the Old Testament, this is used as the proper name of God. It is never used as a false god. Never used to refer to a false god. Never, refer, it never does it refer to anything else. In fact, outside of the Hebrew language, Yahweh doesn't refer to anything else other than the Hebrew God, Yahweh. Yahweh is also where we get the term, I am that I am, uh, when he met with Moses. Um, I am God. I am the I am I am. I am Yahweh. It's, it's a very special name. Now, to the Jews, when they were um, copying the scriptures over, when they got to a place where it said Yahweh, they would stop. They would either wash their hands 
and then write the name and then continue to copy, or they would stop, make a sacrifice, worship, and come back and write that name down. They were very serious about this word. They would stop and make sure that they were totally clean before God before they'd even write the lettering down. It was Yahweh. So it stopped them in their tracks. They knew to stop at that moment. When they were reading and they got to a word and it was Yahweh, they would stop reading for a moment and there would be a brief silence while they were reading and then they would continue. So they, this is a very serious word and something that made all the Jewish people stop and really kind of pay attention. So you have Elohim, he's 2,600 times, 2,250 times it's used of a God himself, and then the rest of the times it's used of either angels or um, humans or false gods, all right? So with all of that in mind, I would like you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. And this is what it says. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, um, Up, he must have been asleep. Up, make us gods, Elohim, who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So, somehow or another, they have linked the presence of God with the man called Moses. Or they feel very uncomfortable that Moses has gone up on this mountain for 40 days, and they're not really sure if he's going to return. And so they're, they're a little, little leery of this, so they want something tangible. They want something tangible to look at that they know that that God is with them in their midst. That's what they, that's what they want. Isn't that desi the desire of all of us? Right? Not necessarily that maybe you and I want something tangible, but we want to know that God is among us today. Right? Now, um, we often talk, talk in terms of God is... Um, omnipresent, which means he's everywhere. And of course he's everywhere. He's huge. He's big. I mean, he is everywhere. However, there are times that he is in one place more than he is in another place. This morning, my hope and my belief is that God is more present here than he is out in the parking lot. And the reason is we've just offered up praises to him and we've invited him to come to this moment to be with us so that he can work on our hearts and teach us, Right? So our hope is that God would be more here than he is somewhere else. Now, he's omnipresent everywhere, but he, he manifests his presence at times in other places and then not in other places like the parking lot. So this morning we would say that um, we have invited God to come and our hope and our desire is that he's here with us and communing with us, all right? So we all have that desire, but they want him to make gods. And so Aaron, 
who is the symbol of the pastor? A group of people have got together, and they want a god or some gods that they can look at. And they've, they've gone to their priest, they've gone to the pastor, and they've told him about it. And so, Saren, and so Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, Elohim, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So the people have accepted this golden calf at this point. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh. Wait a minute. They, they've made a calf. It was Elohim, right? We're good all the way through the text. But now Aaron is now calling this golden calf Yahweh, the proper name of the one true God. Doesn't that strike you as odd? He is basically saying, I have taken your gold and I have melted it together and made a calf because I think that's what Yahweh looks like. And I've made a calf and we're going to have a feast before Yahweh tomorrow, the one true God, and this is the representative. This is the symbol. This is who the one true God really is. They have taken... And they have made an image, and then they attached God's name to it and said that that is Yahweh. Wow. Might put it to you this way. They have just changed his true image into their manageable image of Yahweh who will give them what they want. I might put it to you another way. Well, it's easy to confuse the things of God with God himself. So they've taken God. He's not acting the way that they thought that he should act. And so they've made this image and they have attached his name to this image. And they're going to have a feast before Yahweh. And they're going to have a great time. And they've confused who God is with this image. Now, how in the world does this play out today? How in the world does this play out today? Um, when I first came to the church about nine years ago, um, Jamie might not remember this conversation, but Jamie and I had a conversation about God's will. And Jamie, at the time, was a little disturbed because he felt like, and to some, to some truth in this, that people often say things are God's will that aren't God's will. They'll often have their own will in their own way and then attach God's name to it. Well, I've been praying. This is the direction I want to go. And God has anointed that. Remember that conversation? And it bothers you. Um, 
Jamie's not the first one that it's bothered. A guy named Ray Stevens, it bothers him too. In fact, he has a song, Would Jesus Wear a Rolex on his television show? And in that song, he says, I wonder if God will say that he's been talking to all those preachers that say they've been talking to him. Because what often happens is you begin to speak and then you just attach God's name to whatever you wanted to say, right? And sometimes we as people just like to have God's will and we attach God's name to God's will. At the moment that you have your will in your way and you attach God's name to that will is the moment you have a golden calf. It is the moment that you have made something and attached God's name to it that he has nothing to do with. And here in this passage of Scripture, they have taken their gold earrings, they have given, they have given their, their money, they have given it all to Aaron. He has made this golden calf and he has attached God's, God's name to that golden calf. And now that is what they're worshiping and that's what they're celebrating because they are getting what they want. And they have confused an image and being around an image with the very presence of God himself. There's other ways that we do this too. Now, listen to me. I do not want you to take anything that I'm about to say the wrong way because I'm trying to get you to understand about God's presence, okay? Right? Here we go. Every now and then, I read um, stuff that's outside of maybe studying for a sermon on Sunday because it kind of relaxes me. And I'll, I'll go through a magazine, a Christian magazine or something like that, and I'll run across articles online or in a magazine or something like that. And the articles will be like this. 14 reasons why your church should be contemporary. 14 reasons why your church should be contemporary. And I'll read through those, those reasons. And each one of those reasons takes God's name and attaches it to a preference. Follow me? If you are listing 14 reasons why you should be a contemporary church, chances are you've got a golden calf. Come on. I'll go somewhere else. And again, please understand where I am taking this. I, I am not pushing anything at all. I ran across an article the other day, 14 reasons why the church should go back to hymn books. I love hymn books. I like to sing out of hymn books. My home church, hymn books all along. But once you start listing 14 reasons to go back to hymn books is the moment that your hymn book becomes a golden calf. I'll go one step further. A couple more things. A pulpit. When I first came to this church and, and, I, and, I, um, and I, um, I did the, where you, you know, it's basically pastor idol. You, um, you preach on one Sunday and then you preach the next and then they vote whether they're going to keep you or not. Right? Pastor Idol? Yeah. That, yeah. So, so you did. Well, I came in and I didn't use a pulpit because I had decided that, you know, communication is from here down and I'm a small guy and if you have a fortress of a pulpit, you can't see me. It's like I'm a puppet. You know? I was recently at a church where they, I mean, it was a huge thing. I mean, you could go to war. If somebody came in with a gun, you could hide behind it and you'd be just fine. Nobody else would, but, you know, you'd be just fine. But nonetheless, it's huge and it's big. Communication is from here down. The reason I don't use one of those is because this is communicating. Whatever this is communicating is what it's going to communicate. You with me? Right? It's how God designed me. But if, if I, have, I have seen churches list reasons why the pulpit should be 
in the center of the room. And, and that's where it should be. The moment you start listing reasons why the pulpit should be in the center of the room is the moment that the pulpit becomes a golden calf. The moment that you start listing the reasons why a carpet should be a, a particular color is the moment that the carpet becomes the golden calf. The, the moment that you begin saying, well, we can't paint that room that color because and it come up with three, is, is the moment that that room and that color becomes a gold. Are, are you following me? And there's golden calves that we, we just kind of, kind of hold, hold on to. And the moment that you attach God's name to a golden calf, the moment that you do that is the moment that you miss the manifested presence of God who is real that says there is no image that you should make. You should not make me in an image. You can't make me into an image. If you make me into an image, you have substituted and gone for that image and you will not be in my presence. Is it more important for us to be in God's presence or is it more important for us to have the golden calf? Um, I am... Um, I love, absolutely love Summer Spectacular. It's, it's no, it's no, that's no secret. I love Summer Spectacular. I love to see the kids in the room. I love to see them, I love to see them praising God. I love the crazy stuff that we get to do during that time period for them. I love what's been happening over in the preschool department and how the teenagers are involved in all of that and they're putting on the show and they're helping the adults and all that kind of stuff. I think it's absolutely brilliant. But when I was preparing this message, I had to ask myself if that was my golden calf. Do you know what I mean? It is something that I really love, but would I be able to let go of it? I'll have to tell you this. When I asked, first asked myself that question, I was like, no, because God wants us to all. All. Right? Would, would I let go of it? Oh, God wants us to, well, wait a minute. Is that my will or his will, and how do you figure all that out? If, if it becomes an idol, that's the moment that God isn't going to be with that particular ministry. Awan is the same way. Awana is the same way. If Awana becomes the golden calf and we attach God's name to it, that's the moment that Awana becomes our golden calf. We can't allow a program to become our golden calf. God has us moving toward a land. It's 11 acres. No one knows what that's going to look like in the future. No one. What well, you might, maybe you had a dream, and God hasn't given me that dream yet, and maybe your dream, yeah, anyway, maybe you had a dream, and I haven't yet. But I, I have ideas, and there's other people in this church that has ideas about that land and what we can use it for. Some people would like a shooting range. I'm not sure how, you know. So, so there's things like that happening, but nobody really, really knows, right, what that land's going to be used for. However, there's things on this property that can't become our golden calf. Everything on this property is a tool to get out the gospel. It's nothing more, nothing less. It's just a tool to get out the gospel. This church building right here is a tool. It's not a golden calf. The house right over here is just, just a tool. It's nothing else. The new play area, which I, I really like, and I appreciate Steve heading that up and, and making that happen for us. That, that 
is just a tool. It's just a tool. It's not a golden calf. The new storage facility out here that's going to be 41 by 41, it's pretty big. Pretty big storage facility. That can't become the golden calf. That is just a tool. Look, churches never build storage for themselves. You ever wonder why there's no storage building on a, on a property at a church? They never build that. You need storage. That's a part of the long-range plan. So that building is part of a tool to get us somewhere else. The parking lot is not, it's just not a golden calf, right? The old building over there, I love that old building. The, what, what we've done to it and how the children are in it, I think is a brilliant use of that space. And I'm really glad that we've been able to keep it up, but that cannot become our golden calf. Is everybody, is everybody right, following me here? The moment that it becomes a golden calf is the moment that it angers God. Have you ever wondered why in, in Exodus chapter 32, God got so angry that he wanted to wipe them all out? Have you ever wondered that? I have. I've wondered that. I was like, what's, what's the big deal? It's just one golden calf. The big deal was they put his proper name to that golden calf. And it ticked him off. It ticked him off. If it wasn't for the prayer of Moses, he would have wiped them out and started all over with Moses. Someone has once said, a preacher that I heard one time, that if Moses and God had gotten angry at the children of Israel at one day, they would have been wiped off the face of the earth. Right? So here he is praying about this stuff. You, we cannot allow something or things to become a golden calf. It's easy to confuse the things of God with God himself. Um, I, I come from a um, very fundamental background. And um, in, in that background, there is, there is a, a strong sense that King James is the only Bible that you should use. Um, if, you, if you trace that back a little bit, uh, the pilgrims wouldn't even let the King James Bible come over with them on, on their boats. They took the Geneva Bible with them. They didn't like King James. It, I don't know if you know this or not, but King James wasn't exactly the best Christian man in the world. I don't know if you know this. So they didn't like him. So they, were, they held on to their Geneva Bible. Well, over time, the King James Bible has become like, like a golden idol, Right? And there's so many translations of the Bible that are, that are so good. There's some that are horrible, but there's so many of them that are so good that are a lot clearer now than, than the King James is. And I love the King James, but there's certain Bibles that, that you can preach better with, you can read better with, and they're just fine to use. If I was to take the ESV this morning, this one right here, and say that this is the only book that God has ordained, the moment that I say that is the moment that this becomes my golden idol. See, in Scripture, this, wasn't any, this isn't anything new. The, the Pharisees had their law that was their golden calf. They attached God's name to it, and God says, look, it's, it's empty. Yeah, the, that's my book, but you're not using it in the way that I intended it to be used. It was not intended to be worshipped. They had their traditions. They had their temple, but God wasn't present because those things became the golden calf. All of that stuff all of that stuff is an attempt by, by the human race to feel like God is in their midst, right? 
right? Right. And I would dare say this morning that you and I want to feel like God is in our midst. Right? We want to, we want to feel like that He's here. We want to know. We want to go one step further than, than just feeling. We want to know that He's here. Because He is who we are trying to connect to. The greatest thing about this is God desires to connect with you. He wants to be with you. He wants to be with you in a way that is different than any unsaved person could ever fathom unless they receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. He wants to walk with you tomorrow as you go to work and be a part of that and commune with you as you do your job. He wants to commune with you as you travel. He wants to be with you, and you should want to be with him. He wants to be with you and empower you every day that you exist. He wants you to, to have his presence. He wants to be with you in a very special way. But sometimes we substitute him with other things. And sometimes it's sin, and we're scammed into sinning, just like Adam and Eve, we're scammed into sinning and we totally miss God somehow. And then other things are like substances, 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 substance, alcohol and drugs, okay? Or something that you view that brings you pleasure. Or, or something that you've, uh, like a game, like you, your, your game on your phone or something like that that you'd rather do than maybe read your Bible or spend time with him. Sometimes we substitute, and we're not even attaching God's name to it. We just have a, a bunch of Elohims, a bunch of false gods in our lives that we are so focused on. But God's up in heaven saying, man, put that thing down. I want to spend time with you. I want to be with you. Notice me. See, God wants you to notice him. He doesn't want you to see him in the things that you have. He doesn't want you to, to see you in, in your latest Chris Tomlin album that's only three chords and, and do that sort of thing. He, he, doesn't, he, doesn't want all, he doesn't want all of that. What he wants, what he wants is for you to notice him because he has noticed you. He wants to be with you. He wants to be in your home. He wants to be in your car. He wants to be in your church. He wants to be everywhere that you go. If you live the manifest presence of God Almighty, if you live that, you never murmur and you never complain because the only thing that comes out of your mouth is praise. Is praise. It's an amazing thing to have God with you. It's an amazing thing. And when you know that he's there and you, you have acknowledged him and he's acknowledged you and you know that he's there, it is just the most special thing ever. And for him to want to walk with you every single day and every single step that you take and every single family crisis that you have, for him to want to do that is an amazing thing. I want him to do that. 
So we keep a short account of sins. We, we look for him in, in movements. We look for him in, in everything. And we decide that we are going to be the people that he designed us to be. And we focus on him. Have you ever wondered why every Sunday you come here, you have a different flavor of worship? Have you ever wondered that? You do. Ben might pull out some bluegrass the next time he he does this thing. Have you ever wondered that? It's because I believe that the moment that you choose a certain worship style is the moment you have a golden calf. I believe that with all my heart. And I would rather you come to church and experience God and his majesty than some type of worship style. That's also the reason we're never going to have, well, we're never going to have, we're never going to have a fog machine as I come out to preach. It's not going to happen. Now, we might have it at Summer Spectacular, but we're not going to have it on a Sunday morning, okay? And there's a reason why, why some things are going to be limited because everything that we use on this property is to point people to Christ. Not to the people on stage, not to the preacher, not to anything else, but to point people to God because that is who I want you to experience, him and his majesty. And all God's people said, let's pray.